Thank you, Tyler. Good morning. How are we today? We're good. Jeff's good. I like it. Maybe it's a little early, kind of dreary outside, and, uh, but I'm glad you chose to get up and come to church and join us this morning where we could worship together, look at the Word of God together, uh, be community. And it's a very important part of life. And uh, the church is God's plan A for the world. The church is God's design to reach the world. It was his institution, if you will. It's his people. It's his order. He puts it in order in the scripture, and, and it's his plan for the world. There is, there is no other thing. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So church is very important, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, but I have to uh, let you know something that's coming up this summer. Um, I will be taking a significant period of time off. Um, in the beginning in the Bible, it says God made the, day, made the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And then he went on into, when he was giving the law to the Jews, he instituted other types of Sabbaths, days of rest. Some of you come from a day where the only thing Sabbath meant to you was the band that Ozzy Osbourne played in. But little did you know that actually it came way before that. In the very beginning, in God's design, he designed a day of rest for God's people. Every seven years, they didn't farm the land. They actually took an entire year off of farming the crops to give the land a break and to rely on the provision of God and to see if he would really take care of their needs and Often they didn't actually do it. It was something they ended up in exile over, one of the issues God had with his people. Uh, Jesus later, he taught that, you know, he constantly got criticism for doing good deeds on Sabbath days where you weren't supposed to do any work. And Jesus didn't like that mentality. He said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God designed something for us. Well, these days we... Um, really, it's more in the academic world than it is the church world anymore, but it's called a sabbatical. It's a period of time that uh, usually a professor, after seven years, has the opportunity as a part of their career to take a Sabbath year, where they take a year to um, come out from under their day-to-day kind of stuff that they do and to really gather some new inspiration and information. But really, it was God's idea in the beginning. And so in the church world, we do that sometimes. We take extended breaks a lot of people do have practices of certain periods of time that go by before they do it. Uh, I've been leading the church. This is we're now in our tenth year, if you can believe that, and uh, it's been a journey. Uh, we came in and it was in 2012, and we had years of very difficult financial situation. The church was good. We went through a lot of good things, and. Um, course, this last year has been very, very difficult and um, testing for sure, stretching, um, testing our beliefs, testing what we believe the scripture says, testing how we would lead as elders through this situation, and it's uh, it's been very hard, and uh, I'm tired. And uh, thankfully, the elders and overseers um, thought it'd be a good idea for me to take a couple months off. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to take a sabbatical this summer, June and July. And I uh, 
Around here, you probably won't notice much change, except that I won't be in the pulpit as frequently. There'll be about eight weeks where I'm not here. Uh, I won't be attending. I don't think my family will for the most part. Janie's been leading worship for 20 years without a break, and except for a few weeks at a time when the kids were born. 20 years. Um, we love the church. Our heart is to serve, but um, we need to take a little break. Uh, hopefully get some inspiration when you're, when you're dreaming big and you're thinking deeply day in and day out. It's one of the things I've realized in ministry. Like I was a tradesman before I came into uh, the ministry world. And working with people on a daily basis and dealing with, um, you know, the bigger picture of what God is calling us to and the destiny he has for us, the church, and, and really wrestling with God often over different things, um, that, that's, uh, it's a wonderful thing to be doing. But I think he also gave us a day of rest, and so I'm going to do that this summer. Um, as far as the staff is concerned, Jason will be the uh, point man around here, as he already is for many of the needs that we have as a group. Um, staff will continue as normal. The elders are going to be available as usual. Things will go as usual here on Sundays. And uh, so for the most part, you probably won't notice, notice much at all. But I will be completely unavailable. I won't be answering your texts or your phone calls or your emails. Uh, they'll be going to the office. Um, and the staff and the elders will be dealing, dealing with that uh, as they come in. So I appreciate you guys. Uh, there's nothing secret behind the scenes. I'm not going anywhere, as far as I know. And uh, I'm just going to take some time to let God really refuel the tank, inspire. Hopefully we're in a change of season. I'm hoping that as we go into the fall that things will be shifting and heading in a different direction culturally, because the culture situation has really had an impact on our spiritual situation here at the church. I'm really hopeful for a new season, but that's also going to require um, me taking some time and really uh, being with God at length. And uh, so there you go. That's what I'm going to do. Are we good with that? You understand? I'll be talking more about it probably as the day gets closer, and I will be sending out information over email kind of explaining that more. But I wanted to give you a heads up that that's coming, and I did, did want to express my appreciation to the elders and staff for being flexible and willing to allow us to do that. So we're looking forward to it. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate it. Last week when Josh was here, it was a fantastic message, and if, if you didn't get to hear it, I would encourage you to go online and check it out. It was very encouraging to me, and uh, it's something that's always a, his. We share the passion, and a lot of us do that. We love the church. The church is God's plan A for the world. There's a lot of um, collective criticism and accusation and, and unhealthy things being spoken against the church, but the church is God's plan, and it will prevail. His plan will prevail. And I love that about it. I, when I first came to church, I didn't think that way. I didn't have that deep love for the church. I didn't see that the church was what God was using. He was using the people to change the world and to bring a, a good news and a gospel in. And Josh shared a some of his personal story last week about how his life was changed because of the church. And my life also was changed because of the church. I still remember the first day I walked in Mount Helena Community Church because my life began to change 
when I begin to interact with God's people in a very real way. I'd grown up in the church. I went to church as a child. My parents went to church. I knew all the stuff, and I believed in God. In fact, I wrestled significantly with God in my young years, but really coming to the church. And then Brian Acey was leading the church, and Brian loves the church, and he's about the church. And, and, and he began to instill in me this love for God, what God is doing through the church. Love for the people, love for the structure, love for the instruction of the Scripture about how the church is to operate, how it's to be led, how it's to navigate its relationship with the world. I love all those principles. I love teaching them. I think God has designed a wonderful, wonderful thing in the church. And the church has a destiny. And it's to be the bride of Christ someday. And sitting at, at that banquet, as the scripture describes it, someday where we rejoice with God as God's people. The church is the people. It's you and I. Average people living extraordinary lives that God has transformed and impacted. We all should love the church, love what God is doing, wrestle with how do we make it better? How do I play my part? How do I go on to see that destiny that God has for the church fulfilled? What's my part to play in that? Josh told a story. You started talking about the church of Antioch last week and I want to um, take some time and uh, over the next few weeks before June hits. I, did I tell you this summer? I'm, I'm June 1st, I'm done. That's when I'm done. So I'm going to be gone for a while from there. And, but I'm up four times this month. So I have some time here. And I want to talk about um, a couple people in particular. And, uh, and we're going to start with the apostle of Jesus, whose name was Peter. And we probably know more about Peter than anybody else in the New Testament, maybe other than Paul. I, I don't know. We, we hear a lot of personal stories about Peter and how God called him and how he interacted with God. And this church that we love today, that we're a part of, God used people like Peter to kickstart the church. An average guy just doing his job one day. And Jesus said, follow me. I don't know, maybe you can remember the moment in time or the place you were, what phase of life you were in where Jesus started to say to you, follow me. God is into using average Joes, regular people, messed up people, people with personalities, people with history, People that are sinful, God takes us and he uses us to do something that changes the world and changes people's lives eternally. When we look at the book of Acts, why is it called the book of Acts? It was the acts, the actions of the apostles. It was the actions that were going on in the world in the birthing of the church. You know, we just celebrated Easter and, and, and Jesus resurrected, the power of the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost, and this explosion happens on the world. The church has arrived. God's people, this redemptive message, this gospel, this transformative power. When we read the book of Acts, there's, there's so many adventures. 
There's so many adventures we learn about in there. And when we have to, I, I just think it's so important to remind us again today that when we read these stories in the Bible, don't read them like there's some fictitious movie you watched once. These were real people with real lives, real problems, real families, and a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And they went on to do these acts, these actions. The church is a people of action we see in the book of Acts. We see some of the framework that God started to put in place, establishing elders, giftings being used in the church, the way they handled certain crises and situations, and how they de- started to delegate authority and things like that in the church. We, get all, we, we believe that the Scripture is sufficient, even today, to teach us how we should respond and take action in our lives. So when we're struggling with how to handle a situation, where do we go for the answers? We go to the Scripture because it is sufficient for us. And we look at these people's lives and the things they wrote, which we consider the Word of God, and we take counsel about how to do things. And it's so awesome that it was just an average guy like Peter that really kicked this off. We'll probably look at it more in the weeks ahead, but on the day of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit descended in power on God's people, Peter got up and he preached the message and thousands of people became a part of the church that day. It was like instant megachurch in one day when Peter preached. And Peter was a regular guy like you and me. As we look at some of these stories about Peter, and we're definitely not going to get to them all today, but we're going to look at some of them. I want to challenge you. Can you see yourself in Peter's shoes? What do you see of yourself in Peter's responses to these situations we're going to look at? And how can we take counsel and wisdom and absorb some transformation for ourselves from looking at Peter's life? And ultimately, how can we be encouraged looking at how just a regular guy who actually was, we joke sometimes, was kind of a knucklehead sometimes. How can God just take a regular guy like that and change the course of history? It gives hope for us and who you and I are today. Peter his name actually, his real name was actually Simon. Uh, he was one of the first disciples that was called by Jesus. He was called with his brother, Andrew. He was called with James and John, who are called the sons of Zebedee. Uh, there's a couple of different accounts about exactly how all that went down. Peter was a fisherman. How many of you like fishing? One of you. Oh, well, that's good. Okay, there's a few of you. I know you. Good. Well, they cheated. They used nets in those days. I mean, you've heard the saying that uh, a, good day, a bad day fishing is better than a good day at work, right? And that's true. But what do you do when fishing is actually your job? You ever had a hobby that you loved and then it became your job and suddenly it wasn't so fun anymore? Peter was a fisherman. His brother Andrew was a fisherman. They, they fished with their father. And they were also partners with James and John, and they would, they would go out and they'd throw their nets in the water, often at night, 
and they would catch fish and they'd have to go to the marketplace and sell fish or sell to the people in the market. So, you know, a resale kind of situation. Hard work. Tough guys. They'd be like the construction workers of today probably. See, what happened in the Jewish culture, one of the things that we understand historically, it doesn't necessarily explain this in the Scripture, but it helps color the picture a little bit for us. Usually education went to around the age of 13 or so for the kids. And some of them that showed a lot of interest and a lot of intellect and intelligence were selected at that point to come under the teaching of different rabbis. In fact, when we look at the Apostle Paul, it says he learned at the feet of Gamaliel, or however you pronounce it. There were rabbis that they would learn from, but if you were just like Peter and James and John and Andrew, and you went and you learned your dad's trade, and they learned fishing. And the story, if you pull the different four different gospels together and kind of look at what happened in the calling of Peter, he was he was working. He was they were coming in, they were mending nets, and uh, Jesus. Uh, comes and he's preaching and they push out. He, he gets in the boat. He's like, cast off of the water. Because people were like pressing in around Jesus. He was getting super popular. Lots of people were around. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And, and they were pressing in around him. And he gets in Peter's boat and he goes, just push out in the water a little bit so I can talk to these people from the boat. And Jesus preaches. And then he goes, let's go out, to, out on the water for a catch. And uh, we begin to see a glimpse of Peter's personality. He says, I, I've been fishing all night and I've caught nothing, which is usually my fishing story. Catch nothing. And we start to see Peter's sort of, he's got a little bit of an edge to him, a little bit of defensiveness, and he likes to spar a little bit. He's almost always the first to speak in the stories that we read, like some of you probably. I won't point any of you out. I'd be pointing at myself, probably. Speaking quickly and somewhat ornery at times. But, Lord, since you tell us to, we will let down the nets. And so they let down the nets, and it's in the daytime, and he's just kind of like, we'll do what Jesus says. And they catch so many fish that they can't even get them in the boat. And they're signaled to their partners, James and John, get out here and help us. We got a huge catch. And Peter responds and he falls at Jesus' feet and he goes, Go away from me. I am a sinful man. I think all of us can identify with that feeling sometimes of, God, I am sinful. I am not worthy. What are you doing talking to me? What are you doing using me? What are you doing making me a part? of your ministry and your life and what you're doing on the earth. Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. We see this humility and this instant realization. Peter starts to have a revelation of who this man is that he's dealing with. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Peter was married. Interestingly, we don't learn anything about his family. There is one story where his mother-in-law is ill. And Jesus heals her. He would have been uneducated. So when Jesus says, follow me, tells him, I'll make you a fisher of men, that would be quite an honor to somebody in his position. 
someone who had been rejected to learn from the rabbis back in the day. He wouldn't have gotten the scholarship, so to speak. But Jesus calls him and he left. It says that he and James and John, they, you know, uh, Peter and Andrew, they left their father to follow Jesus. Pretty significant moment. These guys would have been young. You know, Peter writes later in his letters, because he writes two of the letters in the New Testament, that writes as though he's an old man. And so it was years later. Historically, supposedly, it was about 67, I think. I forgot to double check, but it's about six, the year 67. Peter was crucified. He was killed. So if it was around the year 30 that Jesus called him, and it was 67 when he died, he would have had to have been a pretty young man when Jesus called him. Whenever you look at the artwork of Peter, he has like long gray hair and a long gray beard and a green robe, pretty much in all of them. You ever notice that? And so I always picture Peter as this old man that he calls, but Peter was working for his father. He would have had to have been probably somewhere around Jesus' age. Some people say of, of all the apostles that they were more than likely between the ages of 13 and 30 when they were called. Could have been very young, some of them, because they would have left you know, their schooling at that point and begun working, uh, learning the trades of their fathers. So sometimes when we, it's helpful to picture things as maybe they actually were. Peter wasn't necessarily an old man when he was called. He lived to be an old man. In fact, Jesus, after he was resurrected, he said, someday they're going to dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And it says, alluding to the way in which he would die. Jesus prophesied that it wouldn't be fun in a way. And actually, when Peter was crucified, as the story goes, this isn't in the scripture, but it's historical. It says, I'm not worthy to die like my master. So they turned the cross upside down and crucified him on it. That had to be rough. So Peter was one of the first disciples. He was in the inner circle of Jesus. How did this this tough, you know, I don't really know if he was a tough guy. I mean, we don't really know what he actually looked like or how big he was or how old he was. We can speculate based on some of the information. But he wasn't one of the elites. We know that much. And yet he was in Jesus's inner circle, if you will. There were three of his apostles in particular that Jesus brought in very closely and worked with and, and, and taught certain things to that he didn't even necessarily teach the other group. There were some amazing things that Jesus did. There was a, uh, one thing called the uh, transfiguration in Luke 9 and Mark 9 and Matthew 17. They all account for the story. It's one of the most uh, supernatural phenomena kind of things that happens in the Bible. And, and Jesus has Peter, James, and John, these three apostles that are very close to him, go with him to pray. And it says Jesus is transformed before their eyes. His robe becomes whiter than any bleach could make it, it says in the Scripture. And his face kind of glows. And it says, Moses and Elijah appear there with him. Guys that have been gone for a very long time. And and it just, sometimes I read that story and I'm like, what? What what don't we know? What did they talk about? How often did this happen? What was going on in Jesus' life supernaturally with the Father? 
And it says they were discussing the events that were about to take place in Jerusalem. Jesus let Peter, James, and John witness this. They call it the transfiguration. And they were so stunned that Peter says, he doesn't, it says he didn't even know what else to say. He says, how about we build a shelter for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah? And they're like, this, this glory cloud surrounds them. They can't see anymore. And then when the cloud goes away, they're gone. And there's Jesus, his regular self again. It's amazing what Peter got to witness. He got to witness the healing of uh, Jairus' daughter. Jairus was a synagogue leader. Scripture says, while he was still speaking, speaking of Jesus, someone arrived from the house of the synagogue leader and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, do not be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he entered the house, he did not allow anyone to go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, everyone was weeping and mourning for her. Just picture this scene. Young daughter had died. She's laying dead in the bedroom on the bed. And Jesus arrives, and they're weeping and mourning. And he says, stop weeping. She's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Couldn't have been a good laugh. Not in a room where someone has just died, if you've experienced that. Traumatic moment. But Jesus took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned, it says. And at once she got up, and he directed that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but Jesus ordered them all not to tell anyone what had happened. Peter got to witness these things. Peter was there in Gethsemane, the garden where Jesus prayed as he was about to be arrested. In fact, we read in John's account that when he was arrested, Peter drew out a sword and he swung it at the head of the high priest's servant. Chopped off his right ear, it says. Scripture says that Jesus healed that man. We'll look more at that story maybe today, maybe next week. But Peter did a number of things, you know, in his interactions with Jesus that I like to take the time to try and identify myself with and look at and go, would I be like Peter? Am I like Peter? What can I learn from Peter's experiences? In the story of when Jesus walked on the water, uh, the Gospels account for it, but Matthew is the only one who tells about Peter actually walked, trying to walk on the water with Jesus and actually apparently doing so to some extent. In Mark chapter 6, verse 48, you know, the situation is they're, they're, they have, the disciples have gone out on the ocean. They're waiting for Jesus uh, on the sea. And the wind comes up and is beating against them and it's pushing them out. And they're getting further and further. And it's stormy and it's way late in the night, like between 3 and 6 in the morning. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. And they freak out. They think it's a ghost. 
like you and I probably would. Maybe we would remember this story and go, oh, wait, Jesus does walk on the water. Uh, Mark says that he actually intended to pass by them. It's one of those little phrases in the Scripture that you miss sometimes when you're reading the story. It's in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it says he intended to pass by them. Hi, guys. How's the boating going? Good. Standing on the water, watching them row. Hey, guys, row harder. Row, row, row your boat. I'll see you on the other side when you get there, okay? They cry out, and he's like, no, it's me. Don't be afraid. It's just so funny. He's walking by them. One of those things in the Bible that just makes me laugh whenever I run into it. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds and was there alone, but the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. What would you do in this situation? How would you respond? I'm sure we would all freak out. Jason and I were joking recently about Lake Day. Maybe we should get like a sheet of glass and put it right under the surface of the water out when we meet at Lake Day out at Clark's Bay this year and then stand on it and look like you're standing on the water. Wouldn't that be fun? Jason said, no, it would look really silly when you climbed up on the glass in the water. It probably wouldn't work. So we tried, you guys. But Peter, Matthew accounts for what Peter did. And you could just hear his, it just must have been interesting. What was going on in his mind? But he says this, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to, the, come out to you on the water. Peter's sitting in there going, that looks cool. But I ain't getting out unless you tell me to. Call me out, Lord. If you command me to, I'll come out to you. And Jesus is like, okay. What does he say? He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Oh, I like Peter. What enthusiasm. What, what a willingness to jump in, no pun intended, and get involved. But then he gets to Jesus. And it says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. That's what I would do. I would freak out. I was out on a boat yesterday and just looking down in the lake, I'm like... I can't imagine getting on the sea and walking across the water over to Jesus. I would panic. I'm like Peter. I would be afraid. I don't always respond right. I don't always understand. I don't always know what to do. I open my mouth when I shouldn't. (laughs) But Jesus is with us. He's called us like he called Peter. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, 
Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. What a great story. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 refers to Peter as the rock. And if you understand Peter's name, there's quite controversy surrounding this passage and what it means. But Jesus uh, calls Simon Peter. His real name was Simon. He said, but you will be called Peter, which means rock. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he questioned his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist and Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, but what about you? What about you? Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? What if Jesus posed this question to you? You ever thought about that? If I were standing there, or even today, who does the world say that I am? What do you hear about me out there? What does the world say that I am? Oh, well, this or that or the other. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he admonished his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. A lot of controversy around this passage. You know, was Peter the one that the church would be built on? Was it on the revelation that had been given to Peter at the time? Either way, Peter was a rock in the early church. He was a foundation layer. He was an apostle. He was one who preached that first message that day. Jesus took an average guy like Peter. God brought revelation to him. And he built the church and him a part of it. Upon this rock I will build the church. And the authority of the church is illustrated here in, in being bound on earth and bound in heaven. If you grew up in the Catholic church, you know that this is a highly uh, important scripture to the existence of the Pope and the lineage of popes and all those kinds of things, but it's an important part of Jesus revealing to us things about us even today. That I will build my church. Peter was such an integral part of that. Next week, I want to continue to talk about Peter, and when it gets close to the crucifixion, we really see some of the details of his experience and what he did and what he had to say. I'll never deny you, Lord. And we all say that. I would never deny Christ. I would, wouldn't do it. And even the boldest sometimes stumble and fall. And we'll look at that next week in Peter's life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, that you took regular people and did something extraordinary. And began to build the church through them. And God, I pray that as we consider the stories of Peter and the things that he did and who he was to you and how you used him, 
Lord, that we would also be inspired and filled with faith for what you've called us to do, who you've called us to be as individuals and collectively. Father, I pray that your spirit, Lord, would be stirring in each one of us, reminding us of the things that you have said to those that follow you. Father, I pray for each one here today, Lord, that they would go and be blessed this week, that they'd be inspired to spend time in your word, Lord, that they would be inspired to be comforted by you and strengthened by you, Lord, that they would be inspired to invite you in to be a part of the process. Lord, we, we're dependent upon you. We pray for your strength and your comfort today as you go with each one in Jesus' name. Amen.